According to St. Luke, let us be glory to you. At that time, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and engaged to give him money. So he agreed and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house where he enters and tell the householder. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I am to eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished there make ready. And they went and found it as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, he sat at table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I shall not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he gave, had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I shall not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after supper, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it was who, that would do this. A dispute also arose among them, which of them was to be regarded as the greatest? And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For which is the greater, one who sits at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who sits at table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, 
Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you out like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strength, strengthen your brethren. And he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. He said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you three times deny me that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no purse or bag or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let him who has a purse take it and likewise a bag. Let him who has no sword sell his mantle and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was reckoned with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. And he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. Glory to you, O Lord, glory to you. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your great mercy. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our modern world seems to be filled with the gift of gab. It seems like no matter where you turn, there are people talking, there are people debating. If you turn on the radio, there's shows that are going back and forth. If you turn on any sports channels or sports programs, there's a pregame, there's a postgame, there's looking at odds, there's looking at trades. It seems like we are in an endless stream of noise and words. And with that endless stream of noise and words, it seems as if we forgot the meaning of words, so that words don't seem to be as important, or it's my definition of what those words mean, and I'll keep that to myself, and you keep your definition. Not long ago, somebody said to me, well, it really doesn't matter because love is love. And as I thought about that, it really started to eat at me inside. And tonight, as we make this transition away from the bridegroom to the Lord's passion, we see love in two different ways. And we as human beings were made to love. Yet look at Judas. Which way does Judas go? Away from Christ, away from God, towards money. And where does that lead him? To death. The high priests, the scribes, they're wanting to protect their wealth, they're wanting to protect their power, they're wanting to protect their status. And where does that leave them? With nothing, because eventually the temple is destroyed. Now we look at Christ. And we're in that upper room. 
And we're sitting with Christ, with his disciples. And what is Christ doing? He's not worrying about what's going to happen to him. He's worrying about those 12 individuals, including Judas, and wanting to instill in them his final words. And when we look at the Gospel of John, there's a whole section of four or five chapters that are Jesus' final discourse. And when you're here tomorrow, you'll hear those words. He's trying to comfort them. He's trying to tell them that don't be scandalized. Don't be fearful. This is all going to plan. I'm going through this voluntarily. It is not something that they are doing to me, but I am doing to you. And what does he do? He gets up and he girds himself and he washes their feet. Here is the king of glory stooping to wash their dirty, smelly feet. And then he sits down and he explains to them, or tries to explain to them. And you can sense their confusion, our confusion as we're sitting there, of him offering his body and him offering his blood and that we must do this in remembrance of him. What was he desiring at that point? He had made the blind see, he had made the lame walk, he had made the deaf hear. So what was his message to the disciples? His message was he was desiring to continually be with us that his sacrifice on the cross was meant out of the deepest of love, but out of the deepest of love, he wanted to abide with us. I can't speak of the mystery of the Holy Eucharist. I'm unworthy. But the saints have spoken about it. And one saint, Saint Simeon of Thessaloniki writes, Communion, then, is the union of God with us. It is deification, sanctification, the fullness of grace, illumination, a defense against every adversary, and the provision of every good. And what else? It is a mixing and communion with God. It is the mystery of mysteries. He instituted it and gave it to us in order that he might be with us. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this night Christ instituted the Holy Eucharist. The Eucharist is the encounter with the living God. It is Christ continually being with us. He was with all of the Christians in the first century, the second century, the third century, and every century since that until this age. When I come out with the chalice and say with fear of God, with faith and love draw near, that chalice is Christ. And when you come forward, you're coming forward to have an encounter each and every time with the living Lord. 
you are sitting at that table and you are looking at him eye to eye. St. Gregory the theologian says, when the most sacred body of Christ is received and eaten in a proper manner, it becomes a weapon against those who war against us, returns those to God who had left him, strengthens the weak, causes those who are healthy to be glad, heals sicknesses, and preserves health. Though through it we become meek and more willing to accept correction, more long-suffering in our pains, more fervent in our love, more detailed in our knowledge, more willing to be obedient in the deadening of the passions. So when we approach that chalice, if we are worthy, God takes away our pain, he strengthens us, he illumines us, he takes away our fear. There's nothing that can hurt us. There's nothing that can do any harm to us. And we see this in the saints. Two saints today, Saint Alexandra, who was the wife, the empress of Diocletian, who led the most bloody, worst persecution ever of Christians. But through watching Saint George and what he was going through, she became a Christian. So much so that her husband ordered her to be beheaded. But it didn't matter. She didn't care if she were to die. She didn't care if she were empress. She had recognized the risen Christ, and that was the only thing that mattered, was to be united with him. Saint Ionarios, Bishop of Benevento, who we also commemorate tonight, went through multiple tortures, was put in a furnace, was beaten, and again he did it joyfully. How do the saints do it? Because they realize that life is not here, it's with the Lord. And when you are united with the Lord, you have life, you have light, and nothing else is important. Unlike Judas, the high priest and the scribes, who were left with nothing. Saint Nicodemus says this, I will say something greater still. Just as grubs and silkworms leave seeds in the trees or in the earth that remain there during the winter, and then the gentle spring comes and opens the seeds, and they come alive, so the Lord, being united to us in this world through Holy Communion, leaves seeds of immortality in our heavy and earthly body. By means of these implanted seeds, the body will be resurrected at the end of the world unto eternal life, just as the Lord described it, and I will raise him up at the last day. So every time that you approach the chalice, the Lord is entering you. He's entering into your 
mitochondria, your muscles, your heart, your entire being. And those seeds stay there and you come closer to the Lord. And when that body is placed into the ground, those seeds are there so that they may sprout when Christ comes again in glory. I leave you this. What response do we have after we receive Holy Communion? When we leave the chalice and have partaken of his body and blood, do we right away go back to our old way? To thinking the same thoughts, to speaking vulgar words, do we carry on with that gift of gab, with not really listening to what we are saying or the hurt that we're doing? Or do we go with tears and repentance and thanksgiving and say, I'm going to go into the world and make it a better place. Where there's darkness, I'm going to shine light. Where there is sadness, I'm going to shine joy. Where there is despair, I'm going to shine hope. The choice is ours. The Lord has given himself. He is forever with us, now and in the future. What we decide is up to us. May the glory be to God in all things. Amen.